Our reading this morning is Matthew's Gospel and chapter 28. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 28. It's only 20 verses, so I'll read the whole of the chapter. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and beginning to read at the first verse. After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We thank God for the reading of his word. Well, let me take you back to those verses in Matthew chapter 28 and particularly to the first 10 verses. It will be fair to say that most of the world, especially the Commonwealth or former Commonwealth nations, are in mourning today following the death of His Royal Highness Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, last Friday. I'm sure we all share in our Queen's sadness at the loss of a husband a father, a grandfather and a great-grandfather who was her constant companion for 73 years. He adapted to a role that no one had ever filled before 
that of Queen's Consort for over 60 years since her accession to the throne in 1952. We know that our Queen professes faith in the Lord Jesus and we trust that this will give her great comfort. But if there's just one great lesson that the death of the Duke of Edinburgh teaches us, it is that death is no respecter of persons. All must die, the rich as well as the poor, the old as well as the young, famous as well as the infamous, and the royal as well as the commoner. I never forgotten a little tract that I was given many, many years ago. In the years when tracts were very popular and people would actually take them if you were in the street and you were offered a little leaflet, a tract, you, you would take it and have a read of it. Not quite so easy these days. But this tract was called What Next? And it always made a deep impression on me. I've never forgotten it. On the front of the tract were the words, What Next? Question mark. And then inside, it answered that question, What Next? You are born. What next? You go to school. What next? You get a job. What next? You may get married. What next? You may have a family. What next? You make money and you settle down. What next? You enjoy life. What next? Um, you retire. What next? Well, I suppose you die. What next? That's a crucial question, isn't it? What next? After death. The Bible says... It is appointed to men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. There is an appointment that every one of us has, that no one can miss. It's an appointment that everybody has, but no one can cancel. It's an appointment that has been made by God and not by us. It's an appointment that has been made necessary by Adam and Eve and their first disobedience in the Garden of Eden and by our continued disobedience to God and to his commandments. It is an appointment with death. And this morning, I think it is right and appropriate that we reflect on this. It's important that we reflect on Easter day and revisit Easter morning as Matthew records it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because what Matthew teaches us is that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. Easter day is about Jesus rising from the dead. We have just four reliable records to tell us about this amazing event. 
four reliable accounts that tell us the details of that very first Easter day that we remembered last Sunday, but we need to remember it every Sunday. Matthew concentrates on the way that Jesus' resurrection turned everything upside down for the people that it touched and still touches today. It even turns death upside down. This passage that we read is actually all about what was seen that day. It doesn't come out very clearly in the NIV. So I'm going to read these these 10 verses in the ESV, the English Standard Version. Listen out for words that speak about seeing. Words that speak about searching, looking for. And especially a little word, behold, which means see. Do you see? Not just do you see with your eyes, but do you understand? It's a word that comes three times. The NIV misses it out, but it's, it's there. Listen up. Matthew 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go into Galilee. And there they will see me. See, it's all to do with what you see. It's what they expected to see and what they actually saw. It's what it all means, the things that they saw. It's the appearance of the angel. It's the fact that Jesus came and they saw him. It's the fact that he said, I'm going to see you if you go to Galilee. And what was seen that day turned these people's lives upside down. What about the women? What did they come to see? They came to see the tomb. Why did they want to see a tomb? Well, they came in order to anoint the body, didn't they? But they came to the tomb to see it, and they expected to see it intact with the stone rolled in front of the tomb. They had very low expectations that day. We're going to go to the tomb. We're going to find Jesus in the tomb. We don't know how we're going to get in. The stone will be in front of the tomb. That's what will happen, and that's what we expect to see. But what did they see? What did they see? Well, their lives were about to be turned upside down because what they ended up seeing was an empty tomb and an angel. What about the guards? Those guards had the easiest job in the world, apparently. They were told that they needed to keep a dead man in his 
grave and to make sure that nobody tried to come and interfere with that grave. But what did they actually see? They saw an angel descend from heaven. They felt an earthquake. They saw this angel that was looking like lightning and whose clothes were white as snow and the sight of that angel filled them with fear and terror and they collapsed and they were unconscious. Their lives were also turned upside down. But the greatest change was for Jesus himself, wasn't it? Jesus was crucified. So that's what the, uh, the angel said. You are looking for Jesus who was crucified. That was what had happened to Jesus. And the women were seeking him. They were looking for a dead man. They were looking for a dead body because he was crucified. He truly died. But he's no longer dead. His life has also been turned upside down. He is risen. And they can now come and see the place where he lay. And if they and the disciples go to Galilee, they will see him. Jesus' life has been turned upside down. But what about you and what about me? Matthew wants our lives to be turned upside down as well by the news of the resurrection. This fact of the resurrection should turn all of our thinking upside down, or should we say right way up? We should begin to think differently about everything, especially about death. In verse 2, and, and again later on, we have this little word, behold, behold. Think about this, in other words. Think about it, see, understand this. And for our starting point this morning, I want you to see something that you may have missed. When those ladies came to the tomb, what was it that they saw? Now, you might immediately say, they saw the stone had been rolled away. That's absolutely right. They saw that the tomb was empty. That's absolutely right. But that's not all they saw. Listen really carefully to verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. I want you to notice that. What did they see? They saw that the stone had been rolled away. They saw that it had been laid flat. But they saw that the angel was sitting on it. Now why would an angel sit on the stone? It was in order to demonstrate something incredible that had happened. The angel sat on the stone to show that death is defeated. The great question that anyone has to ask about the resurrection is a very simple one, isn't it? Who moved the stone? If you're not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead, then just ask yourself that one simple question. Who moved that stone? Before we jump to the Bible answer, let's ask who might have moved the stone. The guards might have moved the stone. But why would they? They were charged with keeping that grave sealed, with guarding it with their lives. They were told that a pain of death that they needed to make sure that nothing ever interfered with that tomb. Why would they open up that tomb? They wouldn't. In fact, you know, we have this story, don't we? that they went and spread abroad, that someone had come and stolen the body, which is still often the story that people tell today. 
What about the women? Would the women have moved the stone? Well, they couldn't. We're told in the other Gospels that they were debating on the way who would move the stone because they recognised it was heavy and that they probably wouldn't be able to move it. Why would they move the stone themselves? They couldn't do it. Would the disciples have moved the stone? But again, they didn't even come to the tomb. It was the women who came on that Sunday morning. The disciples were still terrified and in mourning at the death of Jesus. And then the guards would have stopped them doing it anyway, wouldn't they? So who moved the stone? The angel moved the stone. That's who moved the stone. The angel moved the stone. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone. And not only did he roll back the stone, but he sat on it. He sat on that stone. Why did he do that? Well, the stone represented the finality of death. The last thing that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea did on that Friday was to roll that huge stone in front of the tomb. And that was it. As far as they were concerned, that was it. Death had won another victim and it was all over. For you and me, it is very much like when that awful moment comes in the crematorium and Either curtains come across, or in our crematorium, the coffin is lowered. Or when you're standing beside the grave and everything is over and you're walking away and you hear the sound of all the earth being shoveled back into the grave. And you go back a little bit later on that day and all you see is a mound of earth. And it's awful. That is the awfulness of death, isn't it? The finality of it. Until that moment, you can almost imagine that it hasn't really happened. But at that point, in the crematorium or by the side of the grave, you're looking at the mound of earth, you say, that's it, that's it, it's all over. And that's what the stone represented, the finality of death. And so when that stone is rolled away, when it is opened up again, and especially when the angel sits on it, it is a sign that death itself has been defeated. Because at last, one person, at last, in the whole history of the world, one person has won the battle with death. One person has been victorious. Nobody else in the whole history of the world has ever done that. Not a single person has ever been victorious over death. Yes, Jesus raised at least three people from the death, we, from dead, we know that. Jairus' daughter, the widow of Nain's son, and Lazarus. They were all raised from the dead. Lazarus even came out of the tomb. That's absolutely true. But none of those people had defeated death. Not one of those people had been victorious over death. Why not? Because they all had to die again. Death hadn't been defeated by them. It was just put on hold for a little bit longer. They were brought back, but they were brought back on the wrong side of death. There is only one person who has ever conquered death. There's only one person who has won that battle and come back again, alive, victorious. And that person is Jesus. And the angel sitting on the stone shows us that death has been defeated. But it's not only that, is it? Jesus rose from the dead to prove that death has been defeated. 
How do you know that death has been defeated? Because Jesus rose from the dead, that's how. The angel's message is very, very clear. In verse 6, he is not here. He is not here. This grave, this tomb is empty. He himself is not here. Why not? He has risen, just as he said. The body is not here. No, but he's not here either. It's not just that the body's not there. It's not just that maybe the body is somewhere, but Jesus is really still alive somewhere. Perhaps some in some spiritual way he's still living. You know, in the same way that we sometimes like to kid ourselves, because it is kidding ourselves, that somehow people are still really around. Perhaps their lives are still being lived through their children. Perhaps the memory of them keeps them alive. That is all nonsense. The truth is that someone has died. And that's awful. It's painful. It's distressing. But it's true. But Jesus is not there. Not just the body is not there and Jesus is somewhere else. He is not there, body and spirit, because he is alive. And the evidence of that is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. This is the reason, by the way, that the stone was rolled away. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus come out of the tomb. He didn't need that. Later on, we discover him arriving in a room when the door is locked. So uh, a stone in front of a tomb is not going to stop him. No, the, the reason that the stone was rolled away was not to stop Je not to allow Jesus out. It was to allow the disciples in so that they could be witnesses of the only true evidence that there is and still is that there is an empty tomb. The women and later on Peter and John and no doubt many, many, many more people, friends and foes, went into that tomb to check it out to see whether... It really was empty. How could death be defeated? Jesus has risen from the dead. So how can death itself be defeated? As we said at the beginning, we all die. We have no power over that. We have incredible medical services, and we are so thankful for them. They can keep us alive, often when we are seriously, desperately ill even when we have most significant injuries. It is amazing what can be done. And we are so thankful that we live when, when we do and that we don't live two or three hundred years ago when these things are not possible. But even though our medical services can keep us alive, they cannot ultimately stop us from dying. Because as we said at the beginning, it's an appointment that we all have to keep. We all die. But have you ever asked the question, why? Why do we die? Now, for some people, they will say, well, it's a natural thing. That's what they'll say. It's a natural thing. It happens. You know, you get to the end of your life and that's it. It's, it's all over. That really a satisfactory answer. Why do we die? Why don't we keep going? Why can't we live forever? Why do our bodies wear out? Well, the Bible does give us an answer to that question. It gives us an answer right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. 
when the Lord God is speaking to Adam, this is what he says. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Death is connected with disobedience. Death is connected with an act that Adam and Eve did. They disobeyed God. The Bible calls that sin. And then later on in the Bible, in Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, we have the whole principle repeated again. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20 says this, The soul who sins is the one who will die. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Again, that link is made between sin and death. Why do we die? Because we are sinners. If we never rebelled against God, if we never did anything wrong, if we never broke any of his commandments, we wouldn't die. But we do die. Because we do break God's commandments. The New Testament says exactly the same thing. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. So that is the reason that we die. According to the Bible, the reason that we die is because we are sinners. Death is the penalty for sin. Death comes through sin. We rebel against God. We live for self. We break the commandments of God. And therefore we die. And that is true of every single person who has ever lived in the whole history of the world. Sin leads to death. What about Jesus? Now Jesus had never ever sinned. There was not one thing that Jesus ever did in his life that was against his father or that broke a single commandment of his heavenly father. He always lived in perfect communion with his heavenly father. He was completely sinless. When he was 30 years of age, think about when you were 30, those of you who have been 30. And think about it when you are 30, those of you who aren't yet. When Jesus was 30 years of age, God the Father said to him, This, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. You know, could you say that about yourself when you were 30? That you were really pleased with everything you had ever done, everything that you had ever said, everything that you would ever thought? Can you honestly say that for 30 years of your life, you'd always done what was right? And that you couldn't find anything that you were ashamed of? Anything that you felt guilty, quite rightly guilty for? You can't. I can't. None of us can. But Jesus could. Because God the Father said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God was pleased with everything that Jesus ever did. He was sinless. And yet he died. So why did he die? Well, he died because he took on himself the punishment that we deserve. He took our sins in his body on that cross. 
And in dying for sinners and in dying for sin, Jesus Christ took the punishment for sin at the hands of a holy God. So that God's justice is perfectly satisfied in Jesus' death. And Jesus could be raised from the dead because he was sinless and because his sacrifice for sin was perfect and complete and satisfactory to the Heavenly Father. And that is why Jesus can defeat death because he's dealt with sin. And if you deal with the cause, then you don't get the effects. You know, you have symptoms of an illness and it's no good dealing with the symptoms. You've got to deal with the cause. Death is a symptom. It's a symptom of sin. When Jesus deals with the cause, the effect disappears. He has defeated death and he did it alone on the cross. That means that we can one day experience death's defeat. Because you might be saying, well, oh, that's all very well. I believe in Jesus Christ. I trust in him for my salvation. I know I'm forgiven him, but I also know that I'm going to die one day. And that is absolutely true. But death is still defeated. One day, yes, unless Jesus comes again in glory before that, one day you and I will die. That is true. But that won't be the end. Because just as Jesus died and was buried, so one day you and I will die and be buried. But we will rise again. And even the moment of that death won't be the end for us. Because immediately that the believer dies, they go to be with Jesus. The Apostle Paul could say, I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. When we are present in the body, we are absent from the Lord. I'd rather be absent from the body and present with the Lord, says Paul. In the moment that a believer dies, their soul returns to God and is in the presence of Jesus forever. But there will be a day when death itself will be completely defeated. Listen to 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. And verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. There will be a day when every believer will be raised from the dead that what happened to Jesus over three days will happen to every believer. Yes, they will die, sadly. Yes, they will be buried. But there will be a resurrection day. Jesus' resurrection is a guarantee to everyone who is united with him in his death. They will also be united with him in his resurrection one day. And when Jesus comes again, at that point, death will be finally defeated forever. Again, as it says later on in, um, in 1 Corinthians 15 when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality then the saying that is written will come true death has been swallowed up in victory where O oh, death is your victory where O oh, death is your sting 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin in the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now is the time when we can be united with Jesus in faith. Now is the time when we can have our sins dealt with by Christ. Now is the time when we can hear this good news and we can come to Jesus. Now is the time when you can have spiritual life in your soul. And that spiritual life is something that will develop and grow and grow. And so that when this body dies, you will then be with Christ forever. And one day, you will have a resurrection body. Because Jesus came to defeat death once and for all. What does this mean to you? Is Jesus your saviour? Has he dealt with your sin? Has he defeated death for you? Are you one of his children? Today is a day when you can come to Jesus, when you can seek him and know him, when you can have those sins dealt with in your life, when sin itself can be dealt with in your life by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done. There's no one else who has ever come back from death as Jesus has. He's the only one who has ever defeated death and brought life and immortality to light in the gospel. I pray that you will know this Jesus and that the Holy Spirit will make these things real in your own heart for his glory. I want to end by reading you uh, a hymn in which these wonderful words occur. Death defeated and life without end. Number 144. All my days I will sing this song of gladness Give my praise to the fountain of delights. For in my helplessness you heard my cry, and waves of mercy poured down on my life. I will trust in the cross of my Redeemer. I will sing of the blood that never fails, of sins forgiven, of conscience cleansed, of death defeated, and life without end. Beautiful Saviour, wonderful Counselor, clothed in majesty, Lord of history, you're the way, the truth, the life, star of the morning, glorious in holiness, you're the risen one, heaven's champion, and you reign, you reign over all. I long to be where the praise is never ending, yearn to dwell where glory never fades, where countless worshippers will share one song, and cries of worthy will honour the Lamb. Let's pray together. O Lord God, our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. We thank you for the hope that it gives to every believer that death is not the end, that there is life eternal, that there is life for a look at the crucified one, that there is eternal life to be given as a gift by grace to all who will look to the Saviour and that there is a resurrection that awaits us like the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus that one day these poor bodies will be changed and we will have everlasting bodies 